Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Jess Caldwell has started an academy called Wild and Kind, where she's blending this idea of wildness and understanding and learning to be wild with the idea of being kind and being kind to yourself and your body and your spirit and your mind. She's been on a pretty incredible journey in terms of like trying to figure out this thing that is hunting and wildness and the outdoors because she had zero experience in it. She's pretty much given up everything to do this thing that she feels called to do. So I wanted to have Jess on the podcast. Um, it was a perfect time for her to come on. She's got her mind on straight in terms of why she's doing what she's doing. She's getting ready and gearing up for a big 2023 of the Academy launching. And I think you find a very fascinating conversation with an individual who just pretty much just head first into the deep end of this thing that she feels so passionately about. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So I guess the, the biggest question that I have, and, and we'll get into it, obviously. What does it mean to be wild and kind? Oh, yeah, thank you. Those two words came together so brilliantly when I was out on a hike. I didn't know what to name the thing I was dreaming up. And I knew that wild had was in it somewhere because that's the essence of everything I'm doing is the nature of wildness from the um from the time i started it 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 began because of my time being in out of reach places 
And then the kind part came in. It's I guess it's a play on words here, but it just works really well together because there is not only the kind of person that finds himself in wild places, so you mm -hmm. are a wild kind of human, or mm -hmm. you um, are putting this together that there is something that I'm hoping to bring to my community, which is um, the kindness that comes from the experience of uh, being held in nature. So those two things just came together really well for Wild Kind Academy. Are you would you consider yourself a wild person? I ha I can be extremely wild. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I live in, I live with a foot in two worlds. So, um, I have, uh, I live in, um, more of a, you know, I, I live not, I, I do live rural, but I still am of this world. I have two teenage boys. We go to the movies. We, we are of this world doing these things. I love being alive in the here and now at this time. I think it's a really mm -hmm. powerful time to be here. I'm not one of those people wishing they lived 100 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I really love being here, and I feel like I have a mission to be here. But in that, I have to also put my foot in the other world, which my heart is drawn to, which it has extreme wild roots in it. And that is what has allowed me to be and feel more human and more alive to be in both worlds in the here and now. So Jess Caldwell, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. We're happy to have you Thank and you. your in intellect and intelligence. Um, while all of a sudden, this, this spark of like, I need to be, I need to be back in the wild. I need to sort of convert myself and my lifestyle to being more wild. Like, why didn't this happen 10 years ago or 20 years ago or when you were growing up? I do think I was exposed to it growing up, and that's what helped me get back to um, realizing what it was going to be to fix my adulthood. Um, growing up, I had a dad who was a cowboy, and we uh, he lived off-grid in um, a remote location and my summers were with him were um, without running water and um, hmm. jumping on my horse and taking off on my quarter horse into the woods and coming back hours later and um, taking uh, lots of nature hikes with him. Uh, I grew where up- Where was that, Washington State? This was in Oregon. Oh, in Oregon, okay. Yeah, and you know, for our our spiritual religious practice was uh, nature's our cathedral, and this is where we go to to commune with ourselves and with something bigger than ourselves. So I grew up with that mindset from my dad, and um, and then I also, uh, when I was fourteen, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail for three weeks. Um, so by yourself? No, I was with a group called Outward oh, Bound. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I got like, holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I was with a group of teenagers my age, and, um, and that okay. really changed my life. Um, as far as being a teenager, you don't, I, I think it's the best thing a youth can do is take off in the worst time when the hormones are a mess and social pressures are intense. Go take a summer and <laughs> go be completely remote for three weeks, living off very little. Mm -hmm. And um, the, when I came back, my sense of self-sufficiency and just confidence was off the charts. And, um, and I was a different teenager because of it. So I didn't just all of a sudden say, this is where my heart is. I think it's more of a, when, when have I been the happiest? When have I been the most connected? And what do I need to do as an adult who's, who has had to live in modern world with raising boys and being, you know, relationships and and careers and all those things and finding that I think the pandemic was something that really helped instigate. There's got to be something else we can do um, to feel whole and not feel so um, completely torn in a world of, um, of the matrix that's pulling us in different directions and that we do have some choices in this that, that bring us back to self and that is not about the rest of the world. So I, I have some pretty strong feelings around what's possible, um, mm -hmm. with this exploration. So I know we chatted a little bit about it when we were together, but 
like what what was the catalyst to like just throw it all in and just say like okay i want to there's got to what did you do before wild this midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices if you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors log on and shop 24 7 with super fast shipping midwayusa.com wild and kind academy were you just like a typical nine to five uh, go into an office job kind of scenario and then just hit screw it <laughs> um kind of i was <laughs> nailed it <laughs> Um, so I was a marketing director for a performing arts center in uh, Olympia, Washington, and was doing that for a couple years. I, before that I was a managing director for a company. So yes, I was working very typical nine to five, um, hours and in front of my computer a lot. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, I did lose my job because, uh, our theater okay. was down, there was okay. no live performances at the time. Um, and they did a great job of keeping us on as long as they could. But at some point we just weren't opening our theater back up and there was nothing to market. So um, I found myself um, in the midst of what probably other people experienced at early stages of the pandemic, which was a sense of um, uncertainty about the future, a sense of being vulnerable, um, a sense of feeling like, Whereas, you know, when, when I was a single mom at this time and I didn't have the resources to go to Costco and spend, you know, $2,000 on food supplies, when everyone was feeling this sense of urgency around stocking up and getting toilet paper mm -hmm. and making mm -hmm. sure that their needs were met. And there was this kind of return energy of let's live off the land and let's, let's get self-sufficient and get generators and, and stock up our, you know, stock up and make sure we have everything we need to handle the the big shit that's hit, about to hit the fan. And right, right. that energy just wasn't something I felt drawn to. Um, I really felt like at this time of my life, um, because I have more freedom, my kids are older, they're um, in, you know, they're 18, 16, they're very independent. And I'm feeling this sense of, I want to walk the world more lightly. I don't want the weight of a household of crap. I want to feel that I can walk lightly through the world, both in my energy and how I'm presenting to myself and to my family and to my friends, but also in my own sense of arrival into this, into this age that we find ourselves in, which was actually, how do I, how do I live in a way that, um, I'm not weighted down by stuff and, and mm. the sense of urgency around supplies, but how do I actually train myself to see what's in front of me? How did humans do it before this time? They got us here. They were really intelligent. Um, they got us here without those things. Our, our ancestors knew the rhythms of nature. They knew how to work with the cycles in the spring and the fall and what to harvest both from wild plants and from small game and from uh, big game and also working together in communities to create um, that everybody had roles and they knew how to do stuff. And here we are, we find ourselves in this time where we're lacking a lot of those skills. And it became very clear to me that my kind of new mission was to learn the skills and to create an academy to bring those skills to other people because I think they're very, very important. And they're the key. They're a gateway for us to feel way better. Mm -hmm. Just normal people start academies because they have experience. <laughs> right? <laughs> you started your academy with zero experience. Correct. You were not a hunter. Nope when you decided to do this correct what was let me ask this I, I didn't ask you this question when we were together did you have a pre preconceived notion or perspective or perception no of who hunters were oh of hunters um i thought yeah, you were hunters, asking me about of hunting. what i was no. with the academy no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no of hunters and hunting i had 
no exposure to hunting. Um, my no, no, not exposure, but opinion. Did you have an opinion? Uh, no, I didn't have an opinion. I didn't have a, I didn't have a negative opinion. I didn't have a positive opinion. It's just wasn't part of my, um, of my worldview of my understanding. I, I think when I perceived a hunter, I had certain misconceptions about, um, the hunter personality. Um, what were those misconceptions? Um, I would say kind of, um, those perceptions, and I hate to stereotype, but I do think they're real, that I felt a sense, you know, I just, I hadn't met an intelligent hunter that I could sit down with and, and talk about the why. It just more felt like um, these are people who are drinking beer on the weekends and heading out uh, to the woods and um, getting away from their wives. And um, that, you know, it just, it, it was really neutral. It wasn't like meant to sure. be a real strong judgment. It yep. was just, yeah. You know, nothing I really could relate to. Because you just hadn't seen it. No. You had seen that side of it. No. And you, but you, okay. And I also didn't understand anything about the full circle of hunting, of, of what, what the, I mean, there is so much that's happened in two years as far as my exposure and mm. what I've witnessed and what I've seen and what I, I mean, and I have done a full deep dive. I don't know. I think I can say with confidence that I have done more in two years in time in the field than probably most people have who had who would take on something like this. I mean, of course, there's people who have grown up hunting. They're in the field. They do this every year. I'm just saying from, a, from where I started and the, and the commitment I made for the last two and a half years to being in the field and witnessing everything, um, even to last this last fall. I worked at an elk hunting camp as the camp cook just so that I could be around the conversations of hunting so that it's not just, you know, my perception, but I really want to, to understand the mind and understand the process and understand the conversations. And I mean, I'm doing whatever it takes. So I know that's really unusual, but I spent, you know, two months living in a wall tent left my kid, left my family. You know, I'm a little homeless right now. I've done some pretty extraordinary things um, to get to the point where I could clear the slate, basically free myself up from a mortgage, free myself up from um, things that hold me stationary. I took some pretty big leaps, sold my house, did all those things so that I have the freedom to go live in a wall tent in the uh, coast of Oregon for uh, Roosevelt elk hunting season. And just being there. Was that the elk camp that you went to cook at? Say that again. That was the elk camp that you went to cook at? Yeah, it was on the coast of Oregon. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I was hired with an outfitter company, uh, Upfront Outfitters, who brought me on board as base camp manager. And so I helped line things up for the hunters and did the communications and found myself living in the cook tent and in a cot. And um, I missed my own hunting season, really, because of that. But that's okay, because this is a lifelong exploration. And the more I pick up and learn, and I'm out scouting with the guides, and I'm picking up all sorts of things, it's an education. And then some of the biggest education that's happening for me is around the dinner table at night. So what was that? Well, I, I'm curious. What, what did that education sound like? Was it more like hunting strategies or was it more like what you was what you may have been a misperception in the past which is why are these guys even here oh it's all of it and it changes depending on the time so in the mornings you know i'd be up at four in the morning with coffee ready breakfast ready and then everyone comes in i've got their lunches packed and we're sitting around the table having coffee and then i'm listening to the strategy side of what their plans are for the day what why they're choosing to either you know go scout that morning um whether they're just going to be glassing or whether they're hitting you know whether they're going in they've got a trail cam up and they're going to go you know they found some evidence of of life and they're heading out there so i get to hear those conversations and just kind of dive into for myself how are they thinking and then in the evenings when they come back i'm getting to hear the conversations everything from 
what went wrong, what went right, what, you know, what the reflection really of the experience. And then we actually had one week where there were uh, four successful um, shots and it was going and, and helping to pack out. So now I'm getting the experience of, of helping break down the animal and uh, packing it up and, and the experience of hiking out through a very, very dense forest, which is, um, it's one of the hardest hunts, I think, the, <laughs> the Roosevelt elk. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like, awesome. I get to go right into some of the hardest hunts. Oops, hold on, dear. Let me see if I just lost you. You right, didn't, I'm here. Me... I'm still here. Okay. Everything's still good. Oh, good. I'm gonna turn, yeah, this off. Um, so yeah, that, so I, I hope I answered your question, but I, I, I mean, there's a lot more I can, <laughs> could go into. So what did you feel like, so there's probably a couple of people listening to this that are, we have a lot of audience that are non-hunters that are interested in getting into hunting. It's sort of a, a topic that keeps coming up now. There seems to be a cadre of people because of COVID that are now interested in getting into hunting. The barrier of entry, as you well know, is very, very high. So for someone who two years ago, two and a half years ago, said, okay, I want to do this. Like, what did you do to, to start? Hmm. So I, while I was a marketing director, I was in Idaho for a conference. And I met a man um, who's a hunter. And he has a YouTube channel on hunting and fishing. He's quite adept and um, silhouette outdoors. And I met him just randomly one night. And he, um, and gosh, I think it's worth saying that a girlfriend and I, we both encouraged one another. I'd never been on a dating app. And I decided to go on a dating app for 30 days because we both were going to have the experience of choosing a date with the kind of person you would never ever normally choose to go on a date with. So we were going to completely go opposite land and and do something <laughs> totally weird and date because we both were so not into dating. It was like, how about we try something new? 30 days, only date people you would never date. And so okay. I had four days left on my challenge and she called me and said, you have not been dating. <laughs> I said, uh, I'm okay, I'm in Idaho. I tell you what, I'll go on the app right now and I'll I'll do my assignment. So I pick out a guy who's in camo and you know, on a on a motorbike in camo. And I'm like, would never date that guy, so <laughs> let's try it. <laughs> and um and so he, he I was like, I'm here with the a performing arts organization. We're listening to jazz and classical music tonight as part of our <laughs> as part of our tour. That's what I was there at for showcasing and helping to showcase um, jazz and, and classical music. And would you like to come out and join me at this hotel for a drink? Sure. He was like, oh my gosh. He was probably saying jackpot because he was like, I'm in Idaho in camo and here's this girl from Oregon who has blonde hair and is pretty pretty saying, I want to date you. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever was... she wants me to do tonight, I'm saying yes to. <laughs> It was, it, you know, he played it cool at first. He's like, well, there's line dancing. My friends and I are doing this. And I'm like, line, okay. I mean, clearly there's a country music thing. There's all this stuff. Anyway, he made it out. And um, we, I was intrigued by him. I was intrigued by his stories um, over, you know, to talk about hunting and fishing. And I, um, and so he, I went back home after that date. And he later invited me back for an ice fishing trip. Um, out at Lake Cascade, which brings huge perch, like giant perch up to the surface. So I went fishing for the first time. And it was one of the most joyful experiences of my life to be truly to be out in this crazy cold iced over lake freezing, Jeez. drinking a beer. <laughs> and ice fishing and pulling up these big, beautiful yellow perch. And then we brought him back to his place and made fish tacos. And I was like, oh my God, this is something big. This feels really, really big to me. It just felt like I'd never harvested food before. And then, 
ate it that same night. There was something so extreme about it. And my energy levels from being out in the cold winter frozen over, you know, lake was so invigorating to me that I was like, I just felt epically great. And Mm -hmm. so he, you know, he invited me back time and time again for different fishing um, adventures. I think that year, those two years I dated him, we, I caught over 30 species of fish um, in Alaska and Mexico and Oregon and Washington and Idaho. And it was, it was a incredible fishing relationship. Um, And from there, he invited me on a hunt uh, for antelope, an antelope hunt. And so I sat in the blind with him for two days. This was my first exposure to archery and to witnessing a hunt. And again, it was just something that changed me. I mean, even just sitting in a blind for two days, not talking and witnessing and having binoculars and watching the magpies and watching the, you know, the wildlife and watching the antelope from, you know, 300, 500 yards maybe coming in, maybe not playing, you know, jumping around. It was the most romantic experience I've, I've ever had. And it felt really good to sit in silence with somebody that felt really great for me too, that I witnessed that hunters don't have to talk all the time. (laughs) Mm. And I was attracted to the silence, um, which was, you know, maybe part my experience of just being like this is really nice to be a human and be with somebody in silence observing the natural world to me it was Mm -hmm. it was a highlight to having a relationship experience Mm -hmm. and he had a successful hunt i went out we field dressed that antelope we brought it back we had elk or antelope steaks that night and it just again i was brought to just pure amazement of that experience. I went home back to Washington and that next day I bought a compound bow. Um, That was immediate. I just walked into a local archery shop and said, help. (laughs) And I just, I need a bow. Um, This was something that just uh, was immediate. And it's amazing because the right connections just just opened themselves up to me um, because I didn't know anything about how to shoot a bow, let alone anything about hunting or the seasons or anything. So I had called up somebody through Instagram. I don't remember who right now. It was just someone I saw on Instagram who was into archery. And I was like, who do I call to learn how to shoot? Type, type, type. And they said, you live in Washington, right? Yes. Call up Joel Turner. Um, he has a clinic on uh, called Shot IQ. He is an incredible. Um, he's incredible, and you'll he'll be he'll be someone that might be able to mentor you. So I did. I went to his clinic. He only lives an hour away from me. He's one of the you know he's very uh, well respected in the hunting community um, as a teacher, as a hunter. His son Bodie is actually one of the top archers in the world. Um, mm. who is, uh, I think 15 now, I actually wrote a story on him. He's an incredible human, um, with incredible skill sets. And his dad has taught them this, this technique of focus. And it felt very working with Joel, with Joel felt like working with Yoda, um, which really sp- spoke to me because I have a history of being a yoga instructor and working with mindfulness training and meditation. And there was something just perfect about meeting him because he spoke to my brain and how I operate in terms of the mental game, the focus, the, med- the really the meditative flow state through shooting. And so I spent a year shooting and that's how it began. So the lesson here is... There is hope for all the hunter rednecks that are on dating apps. <laughs> if that's what you got out of that, yes. <laughs> maybe I'm I should joking. start a whole thing where um, I'm I joking. I'm it. joking, but <laughs> you never know me. where the mentorship. Yeah, you never know where the mentorship's going to come from, right? <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. So. So we've talked about the wild side of the Wild and Kind Academy. How did I, I? I think the kind component. I think that's also a very 
large misperception, even within the hunting community, and not even, you know, outside of our community, is would you dare, dare we call ourselves kind? It's not an adjective that would often be associated with hunters. Yeah, well, I'm changing that script, so... Yeah, it, and I think it needs to be changed. It, it's to the benefits and consequences of who we are as hunters and what hunting does, right? Yeah. Uh, it's To me, it's almost the adjective for hunters in that who are the hunters? Like, for instance, um, have you taken an animal yet? Yes. How much of the animal did you give away? Most of it as Christmas gifts. <laughs> I turned that um, my first uh, deer, I made um, so much, I made all these, I made jerky and I made steaks and all these things. And then I gave, and it was right before Christmas um, two years ago. And or was it last year? I don't, it was right before Christmas. And then that was my Christmas gifts to my family and friends. And it felt so good to give them food that I harvested. Mm. But it's, it's, it's something that, happens all over the world mm -hmm. you know hunters give yes hunters give you know you don't go to the grocery store you've never heard anyone go to the grocery store and buy 12 ribeyes and get home and call everyone up and say hey i got 12 ribeyes do you want one that's true never happened however a deer that you processed yourself that that you've brought back probably is probably five to ten times the cost per ounce of that meat than the ribeye that comes from the store. Yet you're willing to give that away. Oh, I mean, there was no greater gift and everybody felt it. They knew the journey I've been on and they knew what it took for me to get there. They knew the emotions I had um, that were pretty strong. Um, and it was the most from the heart experience personally of integration um that i've had and then to offer that to the community to my friends and family was the greatest gift i could have given them because it's, it's the most sincere it's 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 like here's a piece of me and a piece and you know the, of my heart and my experience and the gift of this animal and together we're giving to you sustenance and food is love. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it, it's certainly you know it for for hunting on hunters. Maybe like you know, there's certain scenarios around the world that are much easier to capture from a meat perspective, like the African example, where people go there to hunt. Their motivation may not be like yours you know, from a giving perspective, it's more like I want to go hunt a, a big animal, mature trophy animal. But the the benefits and consequences of that action are like, you can't take the meat home. Like you can't take it back to America. So all of that meat, including organs and, and you name it, is utilized by the communities, given to the community. And the impact that that has on people is tremendous. It's like, it's, it's incredible. Um... But we don't often, and, and the same here in the States, like there's actually probably more giving of meat here in the States than there is in Africa. There's more food banks receiving venison. There's more pantries receiving venison. There's more Hunters for the Hungry programs all across the country. There's more people giving and doing than we led on to, and it's the which opposite. is unfortunate. It's the opposite of hoarding. Um... That's another piece that I witnessed with the pandemic and right after 9-11 is I do think it is um, a diligent act to have some food storage um, just because of the unexpected. But the fear that people have around food and the sense of um, concern of lack of food and that hoarding of food and the holding on to a food, I think is something that with the hunting journey you, it, I do think it's a spiritual release to give. It changes the nature of the hoarding um, because you 
can become more self-sufficient to harvest food and you have those skills and you know you can do it again and you know you have you're not hoping that the food supply chain is in full swing in order for you to get your next meal when you have those skills of knowing how to harvest food and food sovereignty then there is the energy of the give there's the energy of this is not you know I, something i have to hold on tight to or else it's, i'll never get it you know i won't what if i don't what if the food truck doesn't come or what if the grocery store shuts mm-hmm, down mm-hmm. but the hunting journey is the opposite of that it's the i know how to harvest food i know where it comes from and now i have more freedom in my in my heart to give that and it's not fear driven do you think that's the purpose of the wild and kind academy is to give that freedom of I know you use food sovereignty a lot in the messaging that you use. Is that it? Is that the purpose? It's not the only purpose. I think it's an outcome of mm. of a bigger picture. I do feel like what I'm building is more of an umbrella of a of a big picture, and it's not our okayness um, in our in this time is not just about food sovereignty or self sufficiency, but we are in essence beings of nature, which means we have a very dynamic nature as in the energetics of what it means to have a human body, what's going on, mind, body, spirit for us to be alive and to be operating and to be feeling um, connected and whole. If we shut all those channels off, that is where I think many people are operating from, where they're plugged in all the time to the matrix and they're turning off their own rhythms of nature, then they're feeling completely uh, displaced in mind, body, and spirit. And I think that my uh, offerings here through Wildkind Academy is not just about food sovereignty or having skills, hard skills, but I think an exploration of the freedom that we have as conscious sentient humans that there's a holistic picture going on that for us to tap into and explore, which was part of my seven day solo that I had in Colorado this summer with nothing but a knife. That experience was, was spiritual. And, um, you went to Colorado for seven days with just a knife. Well, I was in, I lived in a primitive shelter in Colorado for two months. Um, so I, that was facilitated through the survival university up in cripple Creek, Colorado. Okay. And okay. I, I basically moved, moved out, went out there with, um, they hand you a, a tarp when you first arrive and say, set up your shelter and here's your supply list. You need a knife, a ferro rod, blah, blah, blah. And then everything for two months, if you want food, you have to start a fire with a ferro rod. You have to collect and harvest tinder. You've got to, um, you basically are learning the skills of the advanced woodsman for two months. And that's something that really, amazing. yeah, that, and that was very exciting to me because that was part of this, my own journey of sovereignty isn't just around food, but it's how can I operate with um, wisdom in the outdoors and nature? I think the conundrum that a lot of people have is they want the nature connection. They want to have the experiences, the, the spiritual connection to, to life itself, which is given to us as a gift when we spend time in nature. But without the skills to be able to do that, the moment you hear a funny sound in the woods that you don't recognize, you are now in fight or flight. And mm. you're saying, oh my God, what's that sound? I just heard you've never heard a screeching owl in the middle of the night, you're out of there. And so um, (laughs) there's a conundrum of how do we access getting out in the wild and feel safe and to, to get to that point where we can actually relax, settle in and feel more through our senses because we're not in a state of fight or flight, but we're actually can receive what's happening around us in a, in a kind of, Um, shared way with the natural world. So I purposely did this training because I wanted to feel that ease in nature. I wanted to learn more about it. And I took a ton of classes those two months and it, it, the, the, what's that? No, sure. That makes sense. And, um, you know, everything from primitive hunting skills, um, 
you know, we, we built primitive weapons. We did um, uh, austere cooking um, using all of the animals. So we did butchering and austere cooking and smoking of meat and trapping and ev everything. It was really a, a full program of, of learning what it is to live with the land and in the land and, and be um, okay with how, with your skill sets. So then it completes with a seven day solo where they, um, we, we go, we hike down to a remote part of the river. It's, there's no cell reception. There's no, you know, you're really out there and you're about maybe a, a half a mile away from anybody else. Mm -hmm. And you're given, you can start with your knife and as you complete certain bushcraft skills that once your shelter is made with just a knife, once you you are able to make fire, once you're able to do certain things, you can you kind of earn back gear after a 24 hour time period. So by the end of, um, you know, a couple of days, I had my water filtration system. But before that, I didn't. And so I had to scavenge for a container to filter water by boiling it and cooking it. You know, I, mm -hmm. there, it was a very creative process of mm. using your creative mind, which is survival um, at its best is the creativity of like, how, how do I work with the environment and get creative so that I I'm thriving and not surviving. And right. Yeah. Right. So you've taken all these skills, you've, You've, you've dedicated two and a half years to like, I need to get this experience because I want to do this thing, but I don't have any experience. Now, you may have some experience. So what does the Wild and Kind Academy look like in 2023? Like what, what, is, what is the ultimate end result here? It's um, right now I have been building out a schedule that I could offer live classes with a mix of me teaching and guest instructors that I bring in who have more education than I ha have in any one particular subject so that I can offer classes that people can take right now. It's very much based around the hard skills. So I've got a, a woman who is coming to teach intro to fly fishing and fly tying. Mm. And, um, I've got, uh, I partner with um, Ray Livingston, um, who is really making a lot of waves over here in Washington state as a predator hunter and um, really doing some exciting work to be a voice for the hunting community. And I've brought him, he's come on board and he's teaching the um, Learn to Hunt series that will start in the spring. Um, and we're really, we're starting off with a masterclass where we can really welcome anybody in that you never, if you've never hunted before, if you've never even had the conversation, come to the masterclass and both Ray and myself will be talking about that journey of why this isn't even an important topic. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of our starting point with hunting is we really just want to welcome many, many people in, especially that's becoming important here in Washington state because hunting here is um, threatened. Um, we, we've gone through a lot here in Washington state and I don't want to lose our hunting community. I want to build a hunting sure. community and whether those people choose to hunt or not, the education and the and the understanding about the why feels really really mm. important as part of the wild kind mission um, is to understand where where this is all relevant and why so um, so I have classes I've got I'm bringing a wilderness first responder training a medical training um, for people to learn just even the medical side of being out in the backcountry and only having yourself to um, either help yourself in a medical situation or the people you're with. So I'm trying to bring in the hard skills that make it, uh, that make it uh, accessible for people to then go have their, their journeys. The piece that I haven't yet really tapped into that I feel is happening in 2023 is me stepping into the role of making the connection around the mind, body, spirit stuff. I know I mm -hmm. have a specific role in this that's not just hard mm -hmm. skills, but bringing forth the considerations of our connection to nature, the rewilding part that, that gives us a sense of, of feeling good in the body, feeling good in the mind, mm -hmm. and feeling connected mm -hmm. in spirit. So I feel that I'm going that's where I'm going personally is to start to bring in more of the mindfulness training and um, the opportunities that people might have when they take this journey with me. Um, 
I had an interesting conversation with a woman recently who came to one of my classes. I teach a 10 C's of survival class that is um, really just a master class on what you need, the gear you need to, to, to feel great on a day hike or for a multi-day hike. And mm-hmm. she's, um, uh, she works with acupuncture. She's a Chinese medicine and she works with doctors who are um, interested in learning some of these arts, but also nature connection. And she said to me, she goes to all these gatherings every year. And she said, lately, there's maybe two different kinds of class offerings. You might have a create a burnout bowl using the embers from your fire class, which is a hard skill class, or um, nature bathing 101 for equanimity of mind. And she said 50 people will come to the nature bathing class and five people might go to the wood bowl burning, you know, create a container, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. a wood bowl class. And she's noticing then that there really is, (laughs) in terms of a business and what's being asked from our community, a real need to feel, I think, possibly first the why of getting into nature and then maybe where the hard skills come in is almost secondary to get you further mm-hmm. and deeper into nature so that you have those skills. So I might have gone about this backwards um, because currently I offer hard skill training classes. But I'm yeah, but I think I think you no, but I think that's the thing is like if I'd asked you if we had started this conversation the other way, and I'd said, do you have experience in? dare I say, having good conversations, getting people to relax, mind, spirit, heart, intersections, you would be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's me. So you already had the skills. It was just a matter of like piling on the other skills. And I agree with you. I think people, I think people would entertain more like, hey, come out here and do you know, a day and a half of getting to know yourself through X, Y, and Z. And then maybe they'd be interested in learning, a, you know, a fire skill. Because I think the fire skill is for the person who re- truly wants to, like, survival. Like, yes, I'm going to be that. Versus the other one is more just like, how do I become, how do I feel better mm-hmm. in my nine to five mm-hmm. that I do, you know, every week? Yes. And... I think there's a big need for that because most people work a nine to five. Most people, you know, everyone's watching the alone show right now. It's a very popular show that's been on for 10 years. People love to get home from work and sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch people survive and watch them get creative about their survival. And they can somehow relate to that. You know, we love disaster movies. We love survival movies. We love survival anything because I think it speaks to the nature of who we are truly. Mm -hmm. Like we all have that survival instinct and that what would we do in that situation so it really speaks to people but most people are like i could never do that that's I was like no i could never do that um so there's a sense also of it being out of reach and completely unreasonable which makes sense it's really hardcore mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. but most people w- live in city centers most people um feel that need to want to connect to the to nature feel that something's missing but the access is so feels so far away and if they are having access it's looking like a day hike for a couple hours out on a weekend um which is great but it's there's still something missing there and there actually is some science behind time and nature and how certain time frames actually do things to the brain Oh, for sure. You know, so for sure. It, That's Michael Easter talking right Ah, uh, yes. So, and I read yeah, his yeah, book, yeah. which is one of my favorites of 2020, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the three-hour window on a day hike versus even a 24-hour window, you know, you start to get these different changes happening in the brain. And, and, and so more is accessed from it. So I do think there's something to bridge through wild kind or anyone offering these types of skills or training, which is how do we relate to the people who feel this is, you know, that's the people actually we need to bring on board to make it feel accessible and to create time in nature, to create reflective time in nature. And that the elements 
whether you have a raging fire in front of you, which does cha also change the brain, there is something that happens as you gaze into a fire. Well, there's hacks. You can also bring in the elements, and I see people doing it through biohacking, where they're cold plunging, they're um, you know doing meditations in front of a candle, they're doing things kind of in that more hippie spiritual stuff that... Um, but they're also seeing there's benefit scientifically to even bringing in the elements of uh, cold therapy, cold exposure, discomfort. Um, uh, what did they call it? grounding where you go out and stand mm -hmm. in the grass barefoot just to ground yourself to the earth and the, and the mm -hmm. science behind that. So there's things still that are available to us that people are, that you can still incorporate. I mean, t if you even live in a city and you're like, I don't, I'm too busy. I can't get out. Well, I mean, that is a lifestyle design issue, but you can still rise before the sun, go outside, step barefoot anywhere that has an electric current to the earth and watch the sun rise and feel that there's going to be something that happens to your brain by watching a sunrise and letting your the the cones in your eyes go through that light spectrum and feeling the cold exposure you know go out there in a t-shirt barely anything let the morning sun rays access your body and then go have a cold shower i mean there's things i think that that we we start at the people are starting mm -hmm. to get really interested in i've just watched mm -hmm. joe rogan do this whole like he's doing this sure. whole ice plunge thing and he talks through it and he's like this is the best way to start my day and it's a thing people are really into it for good reason and breath work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we have more we can do to access our senses and um I think it's more available than people realize and it's going to be training for them to get to deeper parts of of the outdoors, which they'll get to if they train themselves out of the, out of the current conundrum. And that's what you want to do with the Wild and Kind Academy. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, where can people find some more information about what you do, who you are, all the good stuff? Wildkindacademy.com is the website. And I would encourage them to subscribe to the newsletter because that's where I send out communications on upcoming courses and they can find upcoming courses and dates to place held for what's coming into the future. Um, and I'm constantly updating that because I'm a one person show. So I, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that will get updated as I have the bandwidth, but lots coming in 2023. I'm on Instagram as Jess underscore Wildkind Academy, and I'm on TikTok as Wildkind Jess. Awesome. Well, Jess, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you in person, and um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's Thank awesome you. stuff. Thanks, Robbie. It's really an honor that you've had me um, as part of your Blood Origins conversation. It was really exciting for me to talk with you. No, the honor's all ours. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.